0: You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at BethanyNaz.org. You know, I'm excited about sharing God's Word with you this morning, and I've been praying this week that maybe somehow we would see Jesus more clearly today, and we would see more clearly the life that Jesus is calling us to live. I have to remind you that God loves you better than I could ever describe with words. And He wants you to live your best life possible. And as you follow Him, He gives you His Holy Spirit to walk with you, to live that best life possible. So we find ourselves in the season of Lent. It's Palm Sunday. And as we move through Lent, we seek to prepare ourselves for Easter, only a week away. And our goal is to reflect on the life and the sacrifice of Jesus We also find ourselves in a season where we are praying more earnestly, where we are fasting, where we are repenting, seeking to identify with Jesus, and wanting desperately to become more like Jesus in this season of our lives. Becoming like Jesus is big. To live the Jesus way is huge. It takes a lot of faith. Audacious faith. Jesus says, does anybody want to be great? I want to be great. And he says, okay, become a servant. (laughs) If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, why don't you turn the other cheek? The Jesus way, it takes a lot of faith. But it's the best possible life you can live. So a few months ago, I was reading an article written by a guy who identifies himself as an atheist. And he says in the article, I'm not, uh, I'm not here to, uh, to tell you Christians what you should or should not believe. But he said, I will say this to you, if 90% of your lifestyle and your values are like mine... He said, then there's nothing especially inspiring about you to me. So as an atheist, I'm not here to tell you as Christians what you should or shouldn't believe, but I'm going to say this to you. If your lifestyle and your values are 90% like mine, then there is nothing especially inspiring about you to me. He said, in fact, instead of me wanting to become like you, it seems to me that you're trying to become more like me. And so when I read the article, I I reacted inwardly. I didn't like what he said. And so I had this honest conversation in my heart. And I said to myself, am I really that different? In a really good way. So do others look at my life and say, what is it about Rick? I wish I could be more like him. And then I begin to think about the people that I stand up every Sunday and preach to. And do people look at your life and say, what what is it that's so different about that person? I wish I could be more like them. I can't quite figure it out, but there's something about them that draws me to them. See, when I read about Jesus, one of the things that I love most about Jesus is that people who were not like Jesus, they really liked to hang around Jesus. They were drawn to him. So people who did not live like Jesus really liked hanging out with Jesus. In fact, it became so common that they gave him a nickname and they called him the friend of sinners. Because people who were not like Jesus were always trying to hang out with Jesus. So I've asked myself, so people who don't profess to be Christian, do they find themselves wanting to hang out with me? And do people who aren't Christian find themselves wanting to hang out with you because there's something so different about you? So what, what was so different about Jesus? And so I think that Simon Peter sums it up really well in his first epistle in chapter 2. And, and here's what he says. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Jesus never said, oh, I'm going to get even with you. <laughs> Jesus never said, now I've got a score to settle. Jesus never said, I'm going to hit them back. Jesus never said, I'm going to get my revenge one day. No, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. In fact, when he suffered, he made no threats. He never said, do you have any idea who you're dealing with here? Do you know what I could do to you? Never did he make any threats like that. Instead, here's what he does. He entrusted. Now we're talking about faith, right? We're talking about audacious faith, brave Bold faith. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He just said, you know what? It's not for me to sort out. I'm just going to leave that up to God. God has a way of kind of sorting things like that out. I'll just put that in his hands. And so what I want to do is just kind of think with you about that. What What is it to get to this place as followers of Jesus that we say, I don't have to take control of this situation. And when I'm wronged, I don't have to anxiously try to make it right. And I don't have any scores to settle with anybody. And I don't have to get even with anybody. And I don't have to hit anybody back. And I don't have to get my revenge. I can just say, you know what? That's up to God. He can just sort all of that out. I trust Him. See, I think that's audacious faith. And so here we are in Holy Week and we see this picture of Jesus maybe more clearly than we have ever seen it before. So let me take you to Matthew chapter 7, okay? Because in Matthew chapter 7 Jesus essentially says, here's here's the way that I would love for you to live. This is what I want you to do. I want you to follow me. In fact, Simon Peter says these very words. As we think about how Jesus did not retaliate, you and I we shouldn't retaliate either. He says it this way, we should follow in Jesus' steps. And so in Matthew chapter 7 verse 38, that's where we find ourselves, okay? So we're called to follow in the steps of Jesus, just saying, you know what God, I'm going to trust you with the future. I don't have to get even, I don't have to retaliate, I don't have to hit back, I don't have any scores to settle, I'm just going to trust you to take care of things, okay? So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, okay? Okay? I thought we might do it this way when we get to Matthew chapter 7. I thought we might kind of read, if you are a east side Christian, all right, if you're on the east side of the church, if you're kind of from here over, when I point at you, I want you to read. And if you are a west side believer, all right, I want you to read when I point at you. You ready? Here's the only rule. You can't read past a comma or a period. You got that? Everybody with me? If you see a comma or a period after I point it, you've got to stop. Okay, But you want to read with some energy because you have to be heard. You with me? We're all good. Everybody's up for this. Because I want to get the whole you've heard it said but I say to you thing. And I think this will help us do it. There will be times when I will be the only person reading. When that happens, don't feel a need to join me. Here we go. You have heard that it was said. Eye for eye, I would say it was average, maybe just a little below average, okay? So we'll start all over and you can kind of come with me on this one, all right? You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand your coat over as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Is there anybody in the room who would say, you just described my life right there. That's the way that I live. That's me. See, I I believe that that's who Jesus deeply desires us to be. My wife Annette and I, we were at a gathering a few years ago, and uh, at one point kind of wished we hadn't have been there. Everybody else there was family, and they were kind of hanging out in the living room and kitchen of their home, and There were lots of cousins, sons, daughters, all of that. It was kind of a big extended family. And things were going okay, and we were kind of eating some snacks along the way and stuff. And uh, finally, a little girl runs into the room and says to her mother, uh, in regard to one of her little cousins, she said, he hit me. And here's what the mother says to the little girl. Pretty angry. Well, did you hit him back? And and the little girl says, no. She says, well, go hit him back. Only this time hit him harder than he hit you. And the little girl protested and, and the mother, and by this time things are kind of getting quiet and everybody's kind of paying attention. And the mother says, go hit him back, but hit him harder. And at this point, the mother of the little boy protests and says, no, don't go hit him back. Let's go try to work this out. And the mother of the little girl says, she's not your mother, I am. You don't listen to her, you listen to me. Go back in there and hit him back, but hit him harder. At that point, it was awkward. The mother of the little boy stands up and says, let's just go work through this. If he needs disciplining, I will be glad to discipline my son. To which the mother of the little girl says, if you had been disciplining him in the first place, we wouldn't be having this conversation. She jerks the little girl up by the arm, out the door, and in the car, and off they drive. And the rest of us just found the carpet so interesting. We were just all just, it just seemed like there was something about the carpet that just had our attention. It was too painful to look anybody in the eye. And that and I thought, oh, I wish we weren't here. No, I wasn't there. But based on what I read in history, When Jesus comes onto the scene, I think the nation of Israel really wanted to hit back. They had been overrun by other nations. And every time another nation came in and took over, they had a new set of rules and a new list of taxes that they would levy on the Israelites. And they were tired of being pushed around. And they were looking for some justice in this world. And when Jesus rides into town on Palm Sunday and the crowds begin to shout, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Many of them really believed they had found a leader who was going to hit back. And justice was finally going to be served. Interestingly, it's never who Jesus said he was. And even in all of his teaching, Jesus said that's not the way it's going to be. So you've heard it said, Jesus says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That sounds kind of barbaric to us, doesn't it? So if you got in a fight with somebody and in the middle of the fight they lost the eye, we would say, okay, well, hold him still. We're going to gouge his eye out now. No, it was actually the law of retribution in kind. And it was intended to limit revenge. In other words, if we got in a fight and you took my eye out, you couldn't, I couldn't take your life in return. It, it was only what, you know, it was in kind. And Jesus says, I've got an idea. Jesus. And he says, what if there was no revenge at all? What if you didn't get even? What if you didn't settle the score? What if you didn't hit back? What if you didn't retaliate? In fact, he goes on. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, slap them back. Jesus says, no. What if you just turn the other cheek? Or if somebody sues you to take like your bare necessities of life, that's what you need for survival, your very shirt. What if you said, you know, if you're in that kind of need, you can have my coat too? Or if somebody forces you to go one mile. And the idea was, of course, that Roman soldiers could force you to carry something a mile. What if you got to the end of the mile and you said to the Roman soldier, Do you need me to go another mile? Because I could. And if somebody asks you for something, don't refuse them. And don't turn away from the person who wants to borrow from you. It's a radical way to live, don't you think? and it takes audacious faith. So Nat and I, my wife we were downtown on Thursday afternoon Uh, we went to my daughter's salon um, and I got my hair cut and uh, we were coming out to get in the car and there was a a guy walking toward us and there were cars passing and Morgan my daughter was jumping in the car with us to run somewhere real quick and uh, and and it all just kind of happened in a flash and before i knew it, it was over but but kind of pressure between cars passing and a guy walking as i was trying to get in my car and he just says to me as he was maybe only a foot from my face it seemed like or two uh can i have a couple of bucks and in that moment you're trying to evaluate and you're trying to assess and you're trying to respond and you're trying to think and and, and all i did was just kind of looked at him and said sorry and before I knew it, he had accepted that as if he had accepted that response a thousand times and was continuing to walk. And I was getting in my car with the cars passing. him when the doors all shut, I said to Annette and Morgan, I don't feel good about what just happened. And they said, what happened? And I said, that guy, right, he just asked me for some money. And I just said, sorry. And Morgan says, well, if you don't feel good about it, maybe you should do something. Give him something. And so the three of us are all kind of fumbling with our wallets and trying to figure out what denominations of cash we have and my default setting is always never give cash. I mean that's just my default. Don't give cash. But kind of at a loss somebody shoved some money in front of me and I wheeled my car around and we kind of chased toward the guy and I turned left because I knew he was walking down the sidewalk and he would have to walk into me and there weren't cars so I just kind of stopped in the street. And I rolled down my window and he saw me and he came over to the car and I held out a few dollars and then I just said to him, he was so young, I said, hey, is there anything I can do for you today? And he just kind of. Shuffled back and forth, and he kind of moved like this, and he said, I, I don't know, you, I'm thirsty. You got anything to drink in there? And I said, got a bottle of water. A bottle of water would be great. Hand him a bottle of water. And and then there were cars coming behind me, and just in a flash, he said, thanks, man. And it was all over, and I still didn't feel good. I don't know how well a panhandler in Oklahoma City in 2021 relates to the context of Jesus 2,000 years ago in the Middle Eastern part of the world. And I don't want you to get frustrated with me for giving a guy some cash. Maybe you can move beyond that if you struggle with that, because it wasn't the cash that I was concerned about, it was the question. I felt like I wanted to say to the guys, there's something we can do for you. I don't, I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like you being in this position. Can, can maybe we help you in some way? Because I think that's where Jesus is headed in this whole passage. Was the guy just trying to take advantage of me? Maybe. I don't know. But I think what Jesus is trying to say here is no matter the motive of the other person or no matter the intention of the other person, even if the other person is trying to hurt you or take advantage of you, your response doesn't change. As followers of Jesus, we are always love and kindness and generosity. No matter what the other person does. And that's when the watching world says, Wow. Would you look at that? Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, the law. Kind of a set of rules that God had given the people of Israel. This set you apart This is when the world looks at you and says, wow, would you look at that? But I say to you, so what's he given? Another set of rules? No, no, no. He's summing it up. He says, all the law, all the prophets are summed up in these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, all of your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So in every situation that you find yourself in, you've only got one question to ask, What does it mean to love in this moment? And I think when somebody says, hey man, you got a couple of bucks? I think you've only got one question to ask. What does it mean to love this man in this moment? That's it. That's all. And that's what we saw happen in the early church. And it's what we saw happen in the next few hundred years, and it's what I still see happen in many of your lives today. So, I want to dig a little deeper here, okay? I I, I have lived, you know, my life pretty much in a hurry. I'm not proud of that. Um, the, The easiest excuse for that is to say, that's the way I'm wired, you know? But, but truly, I have kind of run most of my life. If, uh, if I get out the doors to leave in the afternoon when I leave work, uh, my car is across the street in the parking lot. I'm pretty much usually going to run to my car. I don't know why. I just do. Uh, if there's a flight of stairs in front of me, I'm going to go up those stairs, but I'm going to run up those stairs. That's just the way that I, I live my life. I don't know why. Uh, I just tend to run. Many days, my lunch just stays right here for several hours. You know, after I eat. I eat fast. I eat so fast. When I eat with people, they go, "Wow, you eat fast." I'm like, "Yeah, no, I eat fast." If you ask my wife, like, what words would you use to describe Rick, she would not use patient as one of those words. Because all of our married life, she has followed me into stores and restaurants. I get out of the car and I'm just gone. You know, and where's Net? Oh, she's coming in. Yeah. So I just have to consciously say, slow down. Now you're laughing because one of you and your marriage is the same way, right? That's, that's what's going on here, yeah. So this group of believers that begin to follow Jesus, that God used to change the world, do you know what they first wrote about? <laughs> first treaties. You ready for this? Patience. And by patience they meant just relax. You don't have to try to control this situation. When you're wronged, you don't have to anxiously try to you know, get involved to correct it. You don't have to live life in a hurry. And you would never use force to achieve an end. And you don't have to get even, and you don't have to settle the score, and you never have to hit back. And you don't have to get revenge. See, here's the truth when we trust God, we can live patiently. you know what, God, I'm just going to leave that up to you. you. You can sort all of that out. I don't have to get this all sorted out. I'm going to leave that to you. And so the early church fathers wrote about it often. Let me give you just four examples. Can I do that real quick? Okay, wrote about patience. Justin, <clears throat> in 150 AD, said, you know what patience does? It actually attracts people. When the watching world sees the church live this way, they are attracted to that. And they shake their heads and scratch their heads and say, would you look at that? When Tertullian wrote in 204 AD, he said, this is God's means of drawing people to himself. When the watching world sees the church live with this attitude... God uses it as a means to draw people to himself. Origin in the 230s AD said it's the core of the church's witness. In fact, here's what he says. He says, I believe the world is like a theater of spectators. The whole world is a theater of spectators and they're watching to see how the church responds to persecution. Wow. Origen said, I believe the whole world is a theater of spectators, and they're all just watching to see how the church responds to persecution. Cyprian in 256 wrote, We don't speak great things. Now he's talking about patience. We live them. We don't just talk about non retaliation, we live it out. And so I want you to just go on this little journey with me for two minutes here, okay? You've got to think with me. In the first 300 years that the church was in existence, it grew by millions. And not only did it grow in number, but it grew geographically. All the while under great persecution, when you became a candidate for baptism. In the mind of many people, you became a candidate for persecution and death. It was so bad that in 68 A.D., after the persecution of Nero, that he led, listen to this, the church closed its doors to outsiders. How is that for church growth strategy? What if we had security at all of our doors and they're standing there saying, you're a Christian? Yep. Can I see a certificate of baptism or something? Is there a pastor we can call to verify this? Can't let you in if you're not a Christian. And in that season, the church grew by leaps and bounds. <laughs> and you say, how? And why? Why? You know what the church father said? Patience and trust in God. The world watched the church say, we don't have to get even, we have no score to settle, we're not going to hit back, we're not looking for revenge. And the world said, wow. What is it about those people? And so I think it's a great question. To stop and ponder for a few minutes this morning to say, when the world sees me, people who aren't yet followers of Jesus, do they look at my life and say, what is it about, Rick? When people aren't yet believers look at your life, do they look at you and say, wow, what is it about you? I'm so drawn to you. I want to be more like you guys. Are we that different than the culture that we live in? So can we just kind of be done here and let me just talk about you for a few minutes, okay? Just I'll wrap it up here in just a couple of minutes. Let's talk about you. You've been mistreated. You've been wronged. Somebody's hurt you, offended you said something that really, really hurt. That's that's your story? My, My guess is that in the world that we live in today and in the division and the tension that we kind of feel all around us, I got a feeling that many of you would say, oh yeah, somebody has hurt me pretty deep. There's others who are listening online and others in the room who would say, I've got a story in my life about abuse that it's really a tough story and I live with the pain of that and so what are you going to do with that and so culture says get even get your revenge they got it coming and sometimes the world says things like just let it go you got to let that go, man. Well, what does that mean? It's real. It happened. It hurts. Jesus doesn't say either of those things. Jesus says, whatever this is that hurts, that was done to you, that causes you pain, Just trust God to sort it out. Not saying it didn't happen, not saying it doesn't still hurt. not saying it's not real, it is. The image in my mind is me sitting back in a recliner and just pushing back and just saying, "That's not mine to sort out. I'm going to give that to God. He has a way of sorting things out. I'll just let Him handle it. I want you to stand with me, if you will. And um, I think sometimes... Just kind of handing it to God is like putting it on an altar. So we have altars here, and uh, it may be that you would love to come and just kind of kneel at an altar and say, God, I'm just going to quit worrying about what to do with this, and I'm just going to say I'm going to let you sort it out. I'm just going to trust you with brave, bold, audacious faith. You take care of it. I'm not going to try to. I'm going to let you take care of it. And so give us the grace, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, to say, God, I'm going to let you sort it out, and I trust you. In Jesus' name,